Wednesday, August the 25th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Biden sticking to evacuation deadline and Afghan women told to stay at home. First, the world in brief. President Joe Biden intends to stick to an August 31st deadline for American forces to leave Afghanistan. He told leaders at a G7 summit that staying longer increased the risk of terrorist attacks by the local affiliate of Islamic State. But his withdrawal commitment depends on whether the Taliban guarantee access to the Kabul airport for those trying to evacuate. He directed the Pentagon and State Department to devise contingency plans should circumstances change. Earlier on Tuesday, the militant group spokesman said that only foreigners would be allowed out of the country. Nearly 71,000 people have been evacuated since August the 14th. A Taliban spokesperson said working women should stay at home temporarily to stay safe from the Taliban fighters who might harm them. The group has said that women have rights within the limits of Islam. The last time they took power, they made similar promises, only for women and girls to be excluded from public life, jobs and education. Goldman Sachs said that its staff in America would have to prove they are fully vaccinated in order to work in its offices. The mandate will also apply to visitors to the investment bank's buildings. Those who are not inoculated must work from home, it said. The requirement comes after American regulators granted full approval to the jab produced by Pfizer, Bio and Tech. America's Supreme Court ordered the government to reinstate a Trump-era immigration policy known as Remain in Mexico. A federal judge had previously found that the Biden administration had not followed a protocol demanding that asylum seekers wait outside the country. The court referenced how in 2020 Donald Trump was prevented from overturning Barack Obama's Dreamers policy. America's House of Representatives approved a $3.5 trillion budget blueprint to expand the social safety net and address climate change. It also agreed to vote no later than September 27th on a separate infrastructure bill worth $1 trillion that has already cleared the Senate. The progress marked a breakthrough for Democratic lawmakers. Disagreement between moderates and progressives over the voting schedule had threatened to derail their agenda. Hakainde Hichilema was sworn in as Zambia's new president. He won a stunning election victory on August the 12th, beating the incumbent by about one million votes, despite well-grounded fears that the process would be rigged. At his inauguration, the former businessman promised to focus on restoring macroeconomic stability after the country defaulted on its debts in November. Joblessness in South Africa rose to 34.4% in the three months to the end of June, up from 32.6% in the previous quarter. This is the highest level since the government began to collect data in 2008. Women and black people were especially prone to be out of work. The pandemic has destroyed many jobs, but the vestiges of apartheid and dubious labour policies caused mass unemployment long before the arrival of COVID-19. And fact of the day, $3 billion, the amount India spent bolstering the American-installed regime in Afghanistan. While the Taliban takeover is a humiliation for India, it is a victory for Pakistan. And now, here's today's agenda. Merely players, gaming's big gathering. Gamescom, Europe's annual video gaming conference, begins today, online only as an anti-Covid measure. Developers will show off titles such as the latest Lego Star Wars and swap industry gossip. Hardcore fans will enter a cosplay contest. The fancy dress, however, belies a serious business. Global gaming revenues will reach $150 billion this year, more than video streaming and music combined, reckons PwC, a consultancy. During the lockdowns of 2020, adults up their gaming time by 30% more than any other type of entertainment. Americans aged under 25 rate video games as their favourite pastime.
The biggest source of future growth may be the gamification of other industries. Netflix will have games on its video streaming service within a year. Earlier this month, Ariana Grande, a singer, staged a concert-come-game on Fortnite. Roblox, another gaming platform, hosted a virtual luxury product launch for Gucci in May. In the future, it will never be game over. No escape, the plight of Rohingya worsens. To avoid persecution in Myanmar or being cooped up in refugee camps in Bangladesh, increasing numbers of Rohingya Muslims have been trying to escape by sea. But a recent UN report shows that this carries ever more risk. Voyages from both countries were eight times deadlier in 2020 than those in 2019, as the pandemic shut down other ways of travel. This left more refugees stranded at sea than any point since the boat crisis began in 2015. It is now four years since Myanmar's armed forces expelled hundreds of thousands of Rohingya from their homes in what has widely been called a genocide. Nearly one million Rohingya live in 34 refugee settlements just over the border in Bangladesh, and their situation has deteriorated sharply since the imposition of COVID-19 restrictions by the Bangladeshi and other regional governments. The pandemic shrunk the number of aid workers by 80% in the camps, fueling hunger and poverty while violence penetrated by gangs has soared, forcing more Rohingya to take their chances across the Bay of Bengal. An island but no water, Madagascar's drought. Much of southern Madagascar is drying up. Last week, the United Nations launched an appeal for $155 million to save lives threatened by drought. In some areas, there has barely been any rain for four years. Malnutrition is on the rise. Desperate, hungry families are selling their underage daughters to buy food. With an eye on COP26, the UN's upcoming climate change conference, some of its officials argue that the drought makes the Malagasy people the victims of excessive carbon emissions produced by industrialised countries. There is an element of truth in that, but this traditionally drought-prone region has been ignored by the country's government for decades. There are no tarmac roads and no piped clean water. Otherwise, fertile fields, which would blossom if they were irrigated, are slowly becoming ever less productive because of sandstorms. Lives need saving today, but without long-term economic development, the misery will continue. Rebounding but not there yet, Euro Area Employment Business activity and employment in the Euro area are recovering strongly. Jobs growth in July and August were at their highest for 21 years, according to a survey data from IHS Market, a research firm. Policymakers will see this as a vindication of their approach during the pandemic. They have increased the generosity of existing job retention schemes and widened access to them. These schemes have minimised unemployment during the crisis, but labour force participation has fallen and 3.3 million fewer people are in work than before the pandemic. The European Bank highlighted this recently when explaining its decision to continue its asset purchases. The exceptional measures are becoming less generous and most are being run down. That should ease some pressure on public finances. But if demand for workers is not strong enough, winding up the schemes risks creating long-term unemployment, especially among the young. Expect calls for the schemes to be extended. Wednesday Profile Ahmad Massoud, Afghanistan's anti-Taliban leader Ahmad Massoud has spent years stockpiling weapons because he knew this day might come. Mr Massoud leads a group of armed rebels from Panjshir, a tiny mountainous province that, for now, is the only part of Afghanistan not under Taliban control. But the jihadists are on their way. If they come without weapons, he says, they may enter to negotiate peace. But if they arrive with guns, they will meet resistance. Reports in recent days of fighting suggest their choice is made. 
Mr. Massoud bears a striking resemblance to his father, Ahmad Shah Massoud, revered in Afghanistan as a revolutionary hero. The elder Massoud was a Tajik Mujahideen commander who fought the Soviets in the 1980s and the Taliban in the 1990s. In 2001, he warned the world that Osama bin Laden might use Afghanistan as a base for terror. Then, two days before the 9-11 attacks, he was bombed by al-Qaeda, soon after dying of his wounds. His son was born in Afghanistan in 1989 and educated in Iran and Britain, picking up some Western ideas about personal freedom. His vision for Afghanistan is of a decentralised country with a regional autonomy for ethnic groups and an inclusive government. Just 70 kilometres north of Kabul, Panjshir's long oval valley can be entered through a steep gorge. Its towns are swelling with refugees and with soldiers who have answered Mr Massoud's call to arms. The region is also harbouring what remains of Afghanistan's government. When President Ashraf Ghani fled Afghanistan, his Panjshiri vice president, Amrullah Saleh, came home and proclaimed himself caretaker president. Mr. Saleh and Mr. Massoud together control the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan. The Taliban's earlier-than-expected capture of Kabul has left their forces stretched, but Panjshir is surrounded by provinces under their control and the Taliban are well supplied with weapons. Mr. Massoud has acknowledged that his own store of arms will not last long. He will be unlikely to get any help from America and its allies while the Taliban cooperate with their evacuations from Kabul. One of the last glimmers of hope in Afghanistan may soon be gone. Summer Quiz, Week 6 Ready to beat our baristas yet again in our Summer Quiz? For Week 6, we'll again serve up a daily question. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5BST on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Wednesday, which is the longest-running play ever in London's West End. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Johann Gottfried Herder, who was born on this day in 1744. We live in a world we ourselves create. That's it for The Economist World Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist Radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 